Jack Kornfield is one of the founders of the Insight Meditation Society. And as part of his teaching uh, contemplative arts and contemplative ways of being, he sometimes works and does trainings with people who volunteer in hospice, who volunteer to sit and provide presence, loving presence for the dying. In the course of one of these trainings a number of years ago, he sat down at lunchtime next to someone who he didn't know very well who ended up becoming one of his best friends. The man's name is Salam Khalili. And Jack asked him, why do you volunteer at hospice? And Salam, with great peaceful presence, said, I sit with the dying, and I let them know that dying is perfectly safe. And Jack said, oh, how do you know this? And Salam Khalili Tells this story. He was in the 1960s uh, a journalist, activist, arguing forcefully, peacefully for the creation of a Palestinian state while living in Israel. And as a result of his writings, he was routinely, regularly thrown into jail. Salam says that at times the guards were very kind to him, very decent, very humane. He said there were other guards, however, that were incredibly inhumane. There was one guard, uh, a Russian immigrant, recent Russian immigrant to Israel who had been in Russia, an engineer, and yet the only job that he could find, the only profession that would hire him in Israel was as a prison worker, a guard. And being frustrated, he became bitter, and becoming bitter, he became cruel. At one moment when uh, Salam was in jail, this Russian guard asked him a question. And I guess he didn't like the way that he gave the answer because he dragged Salam Khalili out of his cell and began beating him violently, fiercely. And the next thing Salam was aware of was that he was hovering above his body, watching this beating occur. This is a common thing if you've ever read anything about near-death experiences. And he was calm and just kind of taking it in. And he saw this horrendous thing happening to him. And then Salam said to Jack, and then something interesting happened. He said it was as if my consciousness left the position watching from above what was going on and I became absolutely unified with everything that I could perceive. I became one with the peeling paint chips in the ancient prison where he was being held. He became one unified with the boot that was kicking his body. He became one with the goat that was bleeding off in the distance in the hills beyond the prison. He said, from this perspective of being nowhere and being everything simultaneously, he had complete and utter peace and joy. Next thing he knew, he woke up in the hospital, recovering from his incredibly damaging wounds. Eventually, he healed in body, and he made a decision that he couldn't go back to being a journalist that the closest thing he could do in this life to be able to approximate what he experienced in becoming one with everything was that uh, he would marry an Israeli woman. 
a Jewish woman, and they would have kids together, and they would raise those kids totally Israeli and totally Palestinian. That's how his life turned out. He emigrated to America, became an artist, a peacemaker, and at times, yes, he would come and volunteer his time to sit by the side of the dying. In his words, just to kind of remind them that it's okay. Now, I do not bring up this story to try to say that it points to an absolute solution to what's going on in Israel and Palestine. I recognize that we may feel a lot of different ways about this story. I do. I don't have any synthesized single feeling about it. And I don't even offer this story as some kind of demonstration beyond reproach that there is proof of life after death. Now, my intention for sharing the story of Salam Khalili with you this morning is that it points at something. It indicates what I believe Easter to be all about. It points us beyond the tired, go-nowhere arguments about literal truth. Did it absolutely happen? And if it did, then you better believe it. Or those who skeptically say it didn't happen and it's not worth much. It's a lie. I believe that whatever that experience was that Salam Khalili happened to, it also happened to the community that loved Jesus, that followed him, loved him so deeply that they found himself after he had been killed by the authorities, that they were in such deep despair and they wondered if he had just vanished for good. And there was nothing hopeful that remained for them. And yet that something, and by the way, I am totally at ease with describing it as something happened. It points to something language cannot fully capture. Something happened that brought that early community of Jesus followers back to life. I think Easter faith looks like Salam Khalili, having seen something ultimately real, even at the endings, at the painful endings, at those moments in our life where we're not sure if there is anything else of us or of life itself, and if we can realize that, that it leads us back into life, into this life, with healing and reconciliation. I think what he experienced in that moment in becoming one with everything in that jail was actually pointing to a basic fact of our life that is true right now. Biologically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, we are all a part of this and this is all a part of us. And that this basic truth can provide us not healing someday, Later on, Judgment Day. But here, today, this day. As my friends, the truth is, I believe fully in Easter. I believe fully in Easter, which is not about the immortality of the soul. That takes care of itself and is beyond my pay grade. (laughs) I believe that the truth of Easter that I believe in is about life and love being more powerful than death. The big one and the little ones of disappointment, despair, and heartache that all of us experience as we go through this life. I believe in Easter because I have experienced it and I continue to experience it. I experience it as a now decade-plus person in long-term recovery 
from alcoholism. I experienced it because I know what it was like to over and over and over again purposelessly break my own heart. I know what it is like to be someone whose inner life was once deformed by a substance and is no longer. I believe in Easter because I'm standing here with all of you. Not just with the 10 years plus of recovery, but because it was about 10 months ago that I asked you with terrible trembling and uncertainty inside of myself, however I looked on the outside, knowing that parts of my ministry had to come to an end here. And what has become, what is becoming, this co-ministry that we are working toward with myself and Reverend Lee and all kinds of other changes here at Wellsprings that are leading us from my perspective into a more honest, more real, more humble, hopefully, I'm going to try and promise that to you, more humble way of being. I've got to tell you, it does my own heart and soul so good. And I must also tell you that regularly over these last 10 months, I have experienced, I don't like it, but I know it's good for me, ego death over and over and over again. And because we're talking Easter and because it is Easter and because we're talking religious leaders, let me be clear, I am not Jesus here in the story or anywhere else. But yes, I am. Only as much as all of us are invited to participate in that reality that Jesus pointed toward with Easter. All of us who have heartbreaks and endings and disappointments as we go through this life and have found or are continuously finding our way to the other side, that there is something else in this life other than just brutal endings. I hear it when I learned the story of a woman named Kate Fowler who had ascended even before she reached midlife to uh, a truly elevated position in the world of theological education, a professor at Duke Divinity School, one of the most esteemed schools for theological education in America who found that before she had even reached the age of 40, that she had stage four stomach cancer. These words, her words, I am 35. When I heard this news, I did things you might expect of someone whose world had suddenly become very small. I sank to my knees and I cried. I called my husband at our home nearby. I waited until he arrived so we could wrap our arms around each other. I could feel him hold me. And then we would say the things that must be said. I have loved you forever. I am so grateful for our life together. Please take care of our son. Then he walked me from my office to the hospital to start what was left of my new life. And he walked me from my office to the hospital to start what was next, what was left of my new life. Even there in that moment, there is especially Easter. And there in that moment, in her voice, we can hear, you know, the, the song that gave me my title. I don't know how many of you Rolling Stones fans might have heard this already. It says, Wild Horses. Faith has been broken. Tears must be cried. Let's do some living after we die. Tears must be cried. I believe this when faith has been broken. Because otherwise, it's just likely that we fall into the old habits that our world tells us. And our world is really good at taking seriously 
things that are unserious and treating the serious things with complete unseriousness. It does it in this way. When we just hear the callousness of the heart that says, life is unfair, suck it up. See, if we do that, what we participate to, participate in is that thing of, you know, hurt people just hurt people, right? And we become cruel by indifference or callousness or not taking a look at the fact that this hurting is a part of everyone's life. And faith being broken, we cry. Some of us cry tears of rage. Tears of rage for those endings that are so painful, so unjust, so unfair, that they must come out in anger. Some of us try to squelch that, but that just makes the tears more rageful when they come out eventually. Some of us cry tears of remorse for the endings, that if we could go back and do it differently, oh God, we would have done it so differently if I had only known then would I know now, but the truth is we can. And so we cry these tears of remorse, regret. And sometimes we cry the tears of release. The tears of release that says there is always within this life endings that need to happen. That there is and are such things as good deaths. And still, there is so much pain in saying goodbye. Sometimes, i got to tell you, maybe it's true in your life, I'm crying tears of rage and remorse and release all at the same time. <laughs> and they just need to come out. If faith has been broken and we allow these tears to be cried, then we can also experience the tears of something else, tears of renewal. That lead us, as the song said, to be able to live after we die, that we can touch the truth of what Jesus pointed to in his healing ministry. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Because that comfort is not just a static thing, not just saying, okay, right now rest in this blissful comfort. No, it's a dynamic thing calling us into a form of life that we are not yet, that maybe we find ourselves resisting over and over again, crying about and saying no. <laughs> And still, life can call us into becoming something new. This is one of our core beliefs here at Wellsprings, that just like the chrysalis that contains the butterfly yet to be that was a caterpillar but is not yet a butterfly, all of us contains the seeds of new life. And I can tell you as someone who has a number of different times, including kind of right now, lived in this chrysalis, I don't know a butterfly was going to come about. <laughs> It is an act of faith, this Easter transformation, this inner logic, if you will, of the spiritual call, something moving in us that calls us into a form of life that we are not yet, but we know we cannot go back to once we, what we once were. We cannot go back to what we once were. And yet there is still something. Dr. Rachel Naomi Remen is a medical doctor, a healer. And even more in her amazing mixture of science and spirituality and storytelling, she approaches that reality known as a, a shaman, a healer of body and spirit and soul and heart. She tells a story about working with a young man, a formerly elite athlete, a fast runner, a strong young person in body who lost his entire right leg to cancer. And he was rageful. This was unfair that he would have his ability to run fast in this life taken away from him. 
And he worked with Dr. Remen over months, being able to express that anger, being able to express that unfairness, until he came to a place of saying, my life is not what it was then, and I am a new form now, but this new form has meaning and purpose and value. And as part of his healing, as often happens in the life of people who heal, is it called him out to work with other people who are also experiencing that pain of ending and loss and the many little deaths that touch us. And so this young man began to work with other young people who had cancer, who lost limbs or parts of their body. And one day he was visiting in a hospital with a young woman, an aspiring opera singer who had breast cancer. And had to get a radical double mastectomy. She held herself as if she was continuously with anger, with resentment, binding up her wounds, closed down to the world, angry, understandably how unfair this was. And she thought she would never, ever sing again. She vowed to never, ever sing again. And this young man with the prosthetic right leg was there by her bedside, And try as much as he might, just couldn't make a connection. Just wasn't working, couldn't find a way through, a way through the pain. Until at the nurse's station, he heard a song come on over the radio, and he walked over to that radio, and he turned it up. And he took off his prosthetic leg, and he laid it down on the ground. And I'm not going to act this out, because that would be like mockery, and it's the exact opposite of what I want to do right now. He started dancing back and forth on his one leg, snapping his fingers totally joyously. And the woman in the bed, so shut off, so shut down in her pain, released for a moment, and smiled for the first time in months. And she said, man, if you can dance, then I can sing. You can dance and I can sing. There is no perfection in this new life. This is the truth of the Jesus story. How do his disciples who loved him so much recognize that it's actually him? What did he do after the resurrection and the story? He showed his scars. This is not about some airy-fairy purity soul level that gets beyond all the pain. No, we bear our scars of the old life into the new. It's not whitewashed. It's transformed where the wounds are. This is how Jesus would have recognized the truth of one of my favorite lines from the Hebrew scriptures from the tradition from which he came. The song of songs, the song of Solomon that says love is stronger than death. Love is stronger than death. I believe in my bones because it is the capacity of love that allows us to touch the life that is bigger than any of the forms we need to let go of. All the particular forms that are passing away and to touch the forms that are not yet here and gives birth to the becoming. Recently, I uh, was at a, a concert with the folk singer Tret Fure. Tret Fure, who's, I understand, it now been doing folk songs for about four decades. And she has, she and her wife have a transgender son. And she wrote a song called Tender about what it was like to help her son transition into who he is becoming. And it's really nice that the word tender and gender rhyme because it you know, makes the song sound really beautiful. And there's this re- repeating line in the song. The heart should always be tender. If Easter does not make our hearts tender, then it's really not Easter. I think we need this tenderness of the heart right now in this country 
and who we are as a body politic and who we are in this culture. There is so much resistance as anger, as repeated unhealed rage against those who some say are different, who don't belong, against immigrants, against people whose gender expression is not as we are told the quote-unquote normal thing is, against GLBT people, all these expressions, and it's spreading throughout this country right now, these attachment to forms, somehow thinking that these are the forms that life can only come in rather than life being bigger than just what's been before. It's like, it's, it's, it's so surprising to me that so many of these things are done in the name of Christianity not remembering that Jesus' own ministry was about preaching a universal love that encompassed every single one. And he doesn't just preach that anywhere. He preached that by hanging out with the people who were absolutely hated and despised within his time. So if you have to ask me the question of what would Jesus do and where would Jesus be, I think the answer is pretty clear right now. I do not see faith in this path that too many of us are on. A society that is not just attached, but addicted somehow to limiting love, thinking that there's only a capped version of this in this life and only some people who I can identify with or we can identify with belong. We need Easter right now. I believe that. We need Easter right now because, as the Book of Romans says in the Christian Scriptures, in this beautifully evocative passage, Creation is groaning with birth pangs and birth pains. And the truth is death throes and birth pains. We cannot tell which one is which very often. Something new is begging to be born here. And sometimes we just have to entrust the old forms to the grave. Let the dead bury their dead, as Jesus said. No going back. We can let them go. Only resurrection can find us then. Because here I believe is the final most wonderful truth of resurrection. It's communal. It is about all of us. It happens to all of us. And it shows up in the life of someone like Salam Khalili sitting by the bedside of the dying, giving permission to embrace that chrysalis, to embrace that Easter living, to embrace that resurrection that is here. We hear it in the words of Boris Pasternak, the great Russian novelist, Dr. Shivago, and he wrote, but all the time, life, one, immeasurable, identical throughout its innumerable combinations and transformation, fills this universe and is continuously reborn. You say you are anxious about whether you will rise from the dead or not, but you rose from the dead when you were born and you didn't notice it. You say you are anxious about whether you will rise from the dead or not, but you rose from the dead when you were born and we didn't notice it. All of us, composed of the same limitless, holy, sacred, precious stuff, born into this world, this time, this place, of too much hatred, too much ignorance, too much greed, that leads us to cause death and harm in the name of protecting life. May we, knowing that endings and death, the little ones and the big ones are inescapable, be willing to be transformed into life again, that Easter this morning might be medicine for sick souls that we can be transformed, reconciled, kinder, wiser, more fully alive, more fully able to love. Amen. Happy Easter. May you live in blessing. Would you pray with me?
God of this Easter moment and all Easter moments, God formless and participating in the embodied forms of everything and everyone without limits, without end. Birth and death here right now, this moment, we do not need to wait for Easter or either Easter Sunday. That indeed the invitation of Easter is this. With whatever we are sitting with, especially if it's something that's passing away and the tears of rage are here or the tears of remorse, regret are here or the tears of release are here. May we accept the invitation to renewal, to belovedness, to belonging. Hallelujah. This is Easter. This is us. Amen.